said, let's look at all the unsolved murders and things like, you know, John Lennon, Elvis Presley, Natalie Wood, Marilyn Monroe. There's tons of those kind of deaths out there that are still, you know, really don't know. What was it? Murder, suicide? What was it? Before television, before movies, where the stage, that's where, you know, you celebrity. It's where Don Wilkes Booth is only remembered because of the Lincoln assassination, but people don't realize he was a matinee idol. He was, he's been compared to Brad Pitt. COVID stuff, uh, that's pretty much killed Hollywood. You look at now, the opening with Spielberg's uh, remake of West Side Story. I mean, they made almost nothing. And, and that's, uh, that's what's happening to all the big movies now. With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Donald Jeffries coming back. He's a good friend of mine and I really wanted to air this show before Christmas, but, and I had all these plans and I just, I couldn't do it. I, that's why I ran some of my reruns because I wasn't keeping up with my own stuff and my family. And then I got sick because I was working myself too hard. And now I have, I had to cancel a bunch of shows and, and I really, I had good plans. You guys were going to get a whole bunch of stuff in between Christmas break and I couldn't do it. I just, I physically couldn't do it. I had all good intentions and it didn't happen. So I wish I would have aired this for him right before Christmas, but I couldn't. And he has this amazing book called On Borrowed Fame. And you, if you have any more presents to buy, which you probably don't, but maybe it's a good one you can buy for yourself or a friend or, or anniversary. It's such an amazing story. He, he has this book called On Borrowed Fame. And he looks at Hollywood and all these untimely deaths in Hollywood. But we also talk about COVID, how COVID has just killed Hollywood. But he starts from back in the 1800s, 1700s, before all this stuff, before modern Hollywood. And he looks at fame and how it affects people and all these weird things and how people are taken advantage of. And, you know, we it, it's really an interesting story when you look at the people and how crazy people are about wanting fame. And there's just a lot of interesting material there that he looks at. And if people who follow Donald Jeffries knows that he's always looking for the most interesting information. And today's interview is very interesting and you'll learn things you didn't know before. And that's what I love about Donald Jeffries. So if you get an opportunity to go check out that book called On Borrowed Fame, his new book. But before I get into this, I want to remind you to get to my website and sign up for my newsletter. And if you followed me on Apple Podcasts, please go back and resubscribe because I was dropped off Apple and I had to reset up my channel. The good news is instead of having only like 45 shows usually that's listed, now I'm up to over 300 shows. So maybe in the long run, it'll be a good thing. But right now I lost about seven years of building up subscribers on Apple Podcasts. So I'm hoping that people find me again and can get back subscribed 
Okay, so let's get into this really interesting conversation with Donald Jeffries. Donald, welcome back to the program. It's been so long. It has, Sarah, way too long. I, I need my Sarah Westall fix. It's great to be back. Yeah, this is great. Well, you just have a new book that came came out about Hollywood and all the, it's called On Borrowed Fame, but it's about, I think everybody has something in this book that they'd really like, but you talk about so many different stars and their backstory. And I, I mean, give us an overview of this book because I'm not going to do it any justice. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, I started, the concept of the book started uh, about over 10 years ago and I, I just got an, I, I was um, a huge fan of our gang, Little Rascals, which came along way before me, but you know, they were broadcast later, decades later. And that's where I first started realizing that a lot of these people really screwed uh, by television, people that didn't know where So Spanky McFarlane was my favorite. And I saw him on a talk show shortly before his death where he seemed kind of like a bitter guy. And he had a right to be better. You know, at the time, my wife and I had just gotten married. We lived in a little townhouse. And right around the corner from us, there was a restaurant called Spanky Clubhouse. And it had an obvious image of, of little Spanky and the other rest of our gang. And I thought, wow, you know, this, I wonder if that's why he's you know, pissed off. And I, I, and I read that he was suing another Spanky-type restaurant. And he, you know, the litigation went and died without ever, you know, having it settled. And so I, I thought, wow, that must be awful because there was also a rock group in the 1960s called Our Gang. The girl was spanky. And they had like three top, three or four top 10 singles. And I had read that he was obviously irate about that. So I thought, that's just one person. But I thought, man, I wonder, because I knew about the Three Stooges. And uh, so I, I, I started contacting people. I, I thought, you know, spanky was long gone. I tried to contact his widow. She never got back to me. But uh, I, you know, got a hold of... Um, the uh, son and daughter of Mo Howard of the Three Stooges, just to try to verify that they, they got nothing, and, and they didn't, obviously. And wow. I thought, well, maybe there's a book. There's a book there, maybe. So I started. You know, most of these older celebrities have websites, and uh, they're trying desperately. A lot of times, they're trying to hawk memorabilia or something. And uh, but a lot of them will get back to you. So I started emailing, bombarding a bunch of them with emails. And uh, a good number got back, and uh, people that had been in bands in the 1960s groups like the Tremel, uh, the, uh, the Buckinghams, and Hogs, uh, and the Ventures, and the Calcils, uh, that sold millions of records. And uh, the, the music people, especially, it was always the same. What royalties? A lot of them literally didn't get paid at all, and especially if they weren't like you know the front man, if they were just like the bass player or the drummer, and. Uh, so I thought, wow, there's, you know, and then I, I contacted, you know, older TV stars from shows like Petticoat Junction and the Waltons. And, uh, and they all said the same thing. You know, they were, they were, they were paid okay. I mean, certainly to the average, compared to the average worker back then, but it wasn't a whole lot of money. And it wasn't enough to set you up for life like it would be now, maybe on, on a big show. But uh, what importantly is that, you know, like they, they weren't prepared, you know, Billy Gray, for instance, it was in Father Knows Best, who wrote a blurb for my book. Very nice guy. Uh, that was a show in the late 50s, early 60s. So I don't think that they were possibly prepared thinking that something they did 60 years ago would still be seen by audiences all around the world. And yet these television shows do. So they, they didn't have it a contract. They didn't understand the concept of royalties and residuals. And of course, the studios uh, fought the whole very concept of residuals. They kept saying, why should we pay you? twice for the same work, but of course the producers, 
they that paid constantly to the Sherwood Schwartzes, the Aaron Spellings of the world. They made millions of dollars on that stuff. Record company. So I thought there's a there's a book there, but eventually I didn't get enough feedback. And so many of the celebrities were writing their own books. And so they didn't want to give me too much information. So I said, well, I just kind of I dropped it and uh, started writing other stuff. And um, other projects, you know, consumed me. And then finally I started revisiting it, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I uh, started contacting these people again. And I said, well, I'm going to throw in a lot of other stuff. I, I, I want to look at not just that. We'll put the economic financial disparity in, which I, you know, have the richest. So there's a lot of that in there, a lot of figures about why certain people get so much more money and have the same kind of career than others. Fascinating. But I, I said, let's look at all the unsolved murders and things like, you know, John Lennon, Elvis Presley, Natalie Wood, Marilyn Monroe. There's tons of those kind of deaths out there that are still, you know, really don't know. What was it murder, suicide? What was it? And I said, you know, that's more my wheelhouse, you know, the political stuff, right? So I'll throw, I'll throw a lot of that in there. And also it's just an overriding thing. What does it mean? What does fame mean? So I, in the last chapter, especially, I go over, you know, what what does it mean to be famous? I mean, you and I are, you know, we're not famous, but we have some kind of measure of the scale. Because to me, I think a loose definition of fame is if a lot of people know who you are that you don't know. Yeah, yeah. And by any measure, anybody on the internet that has a podcast, a lot, a lot of people, we don't know them, right? So, you know, I, I'm sure you hear from people, I hear from people all the time, hey, I love your work, I'm a big fan, you know, it's absurd to, to think that I have fans, but so at, at my level, I'm just, that's the you know, bottom level of the ladder of fame, but even at the- You mean like D-level celebrities? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what level we would be, but uh, way down the scale. But at any rate, but D minus. Yeah, D, there you go. D, but D minus. But when you get to you know really famous people, people who've gone television shows and, and and sold record albums in the millions, and you know appeared back in the in the glory days of rock and roll, where you know fifty thousand, hundred thousand people packed stadiums and things like that. Uh, that's you know obviously grade A fame, but seems to have a short life and, and i just look at it you know andy warhol who's pretty much famous for nothing else except saying in the future everyone will be famous for 15 minutes that's all he's remembered for and <laughs> he was exactly right there's so and it's so many of these people that were there and i go over them all and i go over the history of fame and go back to like the, the 1700s or even the 1800s before television before movies where the stage that's where, you know, you celebrities were. Don Wilkes Booth is only remembered because of the life of assassination, but people don't realize he was a matinee idol. He was, he's been compared to Brad Pitt. Oh, wow. So uh, at the time, there were lots of people, yeah, there were lots of people out there like that. They're, all of them, the only reason Booth is remembered is because of the life of assassination. Sure. All his peers who were huge stars at the stage, no one, their names don't ring a bell. And I even go back, you know, I said, well, let's ratchet it up. And I looked at the, even going back to the 1980s. And I talked about a lot of the stars, the Mia Sarahs of the world, that are completely nobody. Maybe you view blank look, they were the biggest stars of the screen back then. And uh, so that just kind of—I don't know—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a strange feeling it gives you. Wow, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's—it's got to be encompassing. Well, I think it's interesting that they, it is fleeting, unless you become something amazing, uh, you know, that that hits it, that really gets into the psyche of society, you don't, your fame is just fleeting. And I guess from my standpoint, I don't care. I'm here to do a job. I, I guess I'm, I'm, so that's why I, I look at my role as totally different. Cause it's not, even though it is in this genre, 
I'm here because I hardcore want to get stuff done. And it, it allows me that opportunity. So, you know, it's a, I'm, it's, I'm totally different. But a lot of these people really, really wanted to be famous because there was a, a quote Marilyn Monroe put, and you put, it's chapter one, no business like show business. And she said, I used to, I used to think as I looked at the Hollywood night, there must be thousands of girls sitting alone like me, dreaming of becoming a movie star but I'm not going to worry about them. I'm dreaming the hardest. Meaning she just wanted it so <laughs> yeah. bad, you know? And I think that's yeah, what great. this represents is so many of these people want it so bad. And that I think is the undercore, you know, reading through your book, why they get taken advantage of, why they're brutalized through this process is because they want it so bad and they're blinded to the realities of hardcore business. Yeah, and that's such, it's such a great quote from Marilyn Monroe too. I mean, this, she, she had a lot of insight there. She wasn't just a dumb blonde, very smart. But, uh, you know, and she was she's one of the ones who kind of has at least uh, a, a longer shelf life. Everybody still oh, knows yeah. Marilyn Monroe. I, I don't know if she'll be a Shakespeare type or, you know, Shakespeare's like, you know, how many, you know? <laughs> It, uh, still famous, uh, you know, five centuries later. But, you know, it, it, you're right. It, it, it takes, and that's why a, a part of the book that I found uh, really perplexing is all the people that, who, knowing how much, how badly most people want fame when they achieve it. Now, you got to differentiate the child stars because a lot of the child stars are pushed to the stage mother thing is a real thing. And, you know, when you're like somebody like Spanky, when you're that, when you're two and three, and Spanky McFarlane reached his peak when he was like four. I mean, he was a very strange child actor. He was mesmerizing as a toddler. But after that, you know, not so much. Like Shirley Temple. Yes, yeah, Shirley Temple, too. Mesmerizing as a, maybe a little bit older. But Shirley Temple is probably, you know, reached her peak at five, six, seven years old, something like that. And I just, you know, carried Universal. I mean, 20th Century Fox, that, that was, you know, that was kept that studio before. But she's a perfect example. So she wasn't uh, like Jackie Coogan. Who most people, if they remember him at all, remember his Uncle Fester on the Adams Family television show. But he was a child star way back in the day. He started with Charlie Chaplin and silent films. And he made, you know, a million dollars, which is a huge sum back then. And by the time he turned 18, there was nothing there. And it's famous. His parents, I have all the quotes in the book, very famously were very bold about it. How was it his money? You know, where's parents? And so they ended up passing the Coogan Law which was uh, to protect child stars in the future from having that happen to them. And Shirley Temple also, or way more than that, Shirley Temple is a bigger star. But again, she had very little, I have the numbers in the book, I forget, but she had very little to show for her years of, and uh, so later decades, you know, it, it, it protected some kids, but we still had people like Gary Coleman and uh, Dana Plato, from different, uh, tragic lies who didn't, you know, Gary Coleman's parents Somehow his money was stolen as well. He ended up working as a security guard. And uh, so it didn't obviously protect everyone, but there's something tragic about that. And, you know, Sarah, as, the, as someone who considers myself a creative person, and I, you know, every time I look at my royalty statements for books, I just blanch because it's always way less than I'm expecting. So I know that they give the person, the creator of the product, way less than, than, than they deserve. But my heart yeah. is all, always going to be with people you know, that, that, because, that, you know, I know they're exploited. They don't get to me. It's it's unconscionable that the Sherwood Torches in the world, I'm just using him as an example, because he's 
produced a lot of those television shows and made millions more in reruns and none of the stars got a penny from it. And I just think there's something terribly wrong with that. You know, the record companies, why, why does the record, why, why did they get so much money and yet they give even the biggest acts at the time, the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, the standard royalty rate at the time they first came onto the scene was like one to two cents a record. Yeah, that's just so, crazy. You, know, you, you, you know, yeah, and you had to divide that up four or five ways. So imagine how many records you had to sell to make any money. Oh, yeah, and, they, 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 it was just incredible. But now, but one thing you said is it's changed. It today's world, the artists make a lot more, and so that is, you know, I'm, I always try to look at some positives. That is a positive where the artists aren't taken advantage of like they used to be. So there has been some positive development in that way. Yes. and Well, yes and no. In the acting world, yes, definitely, especially television. Since the 1980s, television stars, if you're on a one TV series, you should be set for life. Even, you know, maybe even without it going into reruns, but once it goes into reruns, yeah, most of those people should be, very well off financially, but all of them aren't. And again, I go into, I don't know why that is, but music business is not, the the music business peaked uh, around the eighties, probably in terms of uh, money where you still had, you know, all the big concerts and you had the, uh, the, the big record labels now, because you had the streaming services and Spotify and all that, Mm. the the artist gets nothing. They get so, they have to sell. They're really holes. Yeah. They were, they were, yeah, it's so it's not the way it, went it, backwards. it used to be. So it's it's kind of weird because yeah, back to the music music industry, the performers get a lot less than they did at their peak, and uh, the actors though are making more. But even in the acting business, with with this crazy COVID stuff, uh, that's pretty much killed Hollywood. You look at now the opening with Spielberg's uh, remake of West Side Story. I mean, they made almost nothing, and and that's. Uh, that's what's happening to all the big movies now. So that there, uh, I think Hollywood it may have been destroyed. I don't think you're going to see any big budget films anymore. Which may, and so it, it that may happen for actors as well. Well, Hollywood needs to clean up their act too. I mean, and this gets into right. some of the exactly. the stuff yes. that you're seeing. You know, with like Chapter Six, Hollywood, the mob, and government propaganda. Hollywood got so entangled with military, you know, with uh, government propaganda that they're part of this whole coup against our society right now, and everybody's figuring it out. And so they're turning their back on Hollywood in a big way. And they deserve to be, they deserve that. They deserve for people to snub their noses at Hollywood for how they're treating this country and being traitors. And because um, nobody likes a traitor, right? And so if your whole industry is mm. is helping the treasonous activity, we don't want to support you. And I think that's a lot what's going on right now. But um, but I think it's going to get cleaned up because I think they're starting to have a shakeup internally as well. Well, I should because financially, it's, 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 you know, it's what is it? The new expression is uh, go woke, go broke. And uh, but Hollywood has been woke for a long time, but they are pushing that envelope so strongly, and uh, they don't seem to. I, at least, at least now, they don't seem to care about the economic impact. But maybe after, you know, a, another couple seasons of uh, big budget movies making nothing at the box office, people turning out, then they, then hopefully at some point they'll realize, wow, this is you know we need to tone this back. And the same thing because I, you know, I, of course I didn't talk to any anywhere near A-list celebrities, but. The people I talked to had once been pretty famous. You know, they, 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 uh, 
I, I think that what you see now is that they're so – I don't know that any – when you hear all their little talking points on Twitter and everything, I don't know how much they're really tied to those principles. I think they're, it's such a popularity thing. They think that's cool and they're supposed to do that. And they, they're really, very well aware that by, you know, by bashing Trump or something, well, you know, that's not a courageous stance to take there because they're no. in an industry where 99% of the people are going to cheer them on. So I think they just go with what the tide is. So, you know, maybe if there was a, you know, a, a, a you know, a tidal wave of, you know, anti-wokeness and they started, I think you'd see a lot of these celebrities jump on that bandwagon because I think they're, you know, they're actors, they're acting. So they, they would just jump on that and, and because that's the popular thing or whatever helped their career. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it gets back to Marilyn Monroe's comment. They want it so bad that they'll do anything it takes. And this gets back into this other quote that you have by Hedy Lamar, And you say, the ladder of success in Hollywood is usually a press agent, actor, director, producer, leading man. And you are a star if you sleep with each of them in that order. <laughs> So now, do the, <laughs> did the did yeah. the men have that same issue? I mean, because there's a lot of homosexuality in Hollywood. Did they? I mean, is it the same process? Yeah. I mean, it's the same oh, process I have, for I both. Think for a lot of them, it was. Yeah, I think for a lot of them it was. I mean, there's you know there's the the, the legend about Clark Gable is that when he first went to Hollywood and he was you know he was a he was a macho guy you know he I mean, he it was very you know homophobic later. But he had he also had a personal reason for that because when he first came to Hollywood, he did apparently you know perform services for uh, some of the executives. That's how he that, that's the rumor. And again, I don't know, but but and if you believe somebody like Scotty Bowers, I I had a big selling book a couple years ago, and he claimed he was basically according to him, he apparently had sex with everybody in Hollywood. But he back in the golden age. But if you believe him, then. If you believe a lot of this, it's hard to tell where propaganda begins because, again, it's, I think it's in their interest to say that everyone in Hollywood was gay or bi. But if you, if you look at a lot of what they talk, uh, what you read about the Hollywood history, they do infer that a whole huge percentage of uh, you had the swing circle club that were so many lesbians out there, supposedly, and you had so many uh, guys that were gays. But I, could they all have been? I, I think it's probably exaggerated, but. Certainly, there were a lot, and if that's the case, obviously the men probably started the same way. So uh, I, I don't know. It seemed, but certainly it was a casting couch, though. It probably went both ways. But the casting couch—they talk about it yeah, in exactly. uh, New York too on Broadway, and that's why a lot of gay yeah. men, a lot of gay men actually are who they want um, because they're gay, and the women or they're bisexual right. of some sort. I mean, I don't, I, I don't really know. I'm just saying what I've heard. Yeah. But you yeah. said that you yeah. haven't interviewed yeah. very many. Yeah. I, yeah. You said that you didn't interview many A stars, but you might not have interviewed the A stars of today, right this second. But these other people you interviewed were A stars back in their day or their family members sure. of the A stars. I mean, that's what you were going after and how it was so fleeting for them. Um, the one thing that you talk about too is um, behind the facade. Um, and Will Rogers says, I didn't have any more intention of going into pictures than I had being president of Yale. I was living quiet and peaceful down in Avenueville, Long Island, where the insane asylum is. I mean, basically saying that Hollywood <laughs> is this big asylum asylum. Um, and that's yeah. what, I mean, it, but you know, I see just a tip of that in what we're doing now. And I have to say that, you know, I work hard to try to associate myself with the people I think are more mentally stable 
or, um, you know, those that I talk to on a regular basis, I, I, I would rather be with more mentally stable people because there is a lot of, of that just in what we're doing. I see a lot of that. And, um, you know, and, and so it, it, there, I, it gets back to that fame. What type of person would want fame so bad that they'll do anything? Well, they're not that mentally stable, right? And it, we get back into the people right. in, in politics who want it so bad. The people who go all the way to the top, they're blackmailed. They're just not mentally stable. I mean, is that what you have found? Same as me? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, uh, uh, John Barber, our mutual friend, who was uh, who wrote the foreword to this book, and I was very gratified he did that. And John, and John Barber was the, the host and creator of Real People, which was the number one show in television for 1979 and 1981. A lot of people think it was the first reality TV show. He not bother reality TV because he that was his idea, and he hosted it. But he told me, and, and uh, you know, he said, you know, Donald, uh, one of the most disillusioning things in my life was when I was host of Real People, were the number of mothers that would come up to me and offer to have sex, mm. get their kids on the show. And, and he said, it was just so discouraging. And, you know, you have to think that it's, so I think that that kind of fame is that people want so much. I mean, look what we see on YouTube and, and you talk about our world. I call them conspiracy celebrities. There's a lot of them. And, you know, a lot of times the conspiracy, conspiracy celebrities are harder for me to get a hold of than real celebrities. And I don't, you know, they, they think they, I don't know what they believe because I, I hate to tell you, you know, but you know, nobody in the conspiracy world is known to the general public, except maybe Alex Jones. It's, they're just not, you know, outside of the world, you're big, you're big fish in a little pond, but get over yourself. That, that's the attitude exactly. they have. And people want fame. You see the, the YouTube stars that, that you know, what's, what was the girl? Uh, I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned her in the book. Probably the most ridiculous example of fame for nothing was that 13-year-old girl that said, cast me outside or something. I, I, but she, she became a sensation on the internet. I mean, and she ended up, I think she, she somehow marketed that into big money. I, I have no idea. I mean, it was a stupid expression. She was, you know, 13 years old. And somehow she ended up on television shows and everything else. That to me epitomizes what you see now. That's the kind of fame, and really the 15 minutes of fame, because obviously nobody's going to remember her. I mean, look at the recent years. What was the guy? Uh, remember the guy on uh, the uh, American Idol, I think it was. The Asian guy who sang so badly. Remember, he was oh, such yeah, a joke. Yeah, he was so bad. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was, yeah, and he was big for a while. It's like, it's like that, that epitomizes what Andy Warhol was talking about. That's the kind of fame we have today where people are not, you know, they're not famous for very long, but other people like, you know, some I mentioned, you know, I mean, I had the, a lot of these records, you know, the Trogs had a huge song, Wild Thing, which is still, you know, so talking to one of their band members was, was pretty cool because they were big back in the day, but you know, they didn't make very much money. You know, I mean, I communicated with uh, Laurie Saunders, who was, you know, just one of the Girls I had a crush on when I was a little kid. She was Bobby Joe on the on Petticoat Junction. Just gorgeous woman. Really do like a lot of these people. She didn't do anything after the show was canceled, and uh, so she's huge to me. <laughs> you know, and one of the Waltons I talked to, Air, Air, Mary, Mary McDonough, who I had a crush on again as a as like a teenager, was one of the played Aaron on the Waltons. Very nice lady. But uh, again, she a lot of these people they still have sit and even my friend Susan Olson 
who's become a real friend of mine. We saw Cindy Brady on the Brady Bunch. Yeah. She has a following, much bigger following than most of them, but um, she hasn't done much in show business since then. And so I think it's uh, it's nice that people like her, and there are others like that, that uh, maintain a following. Another guy's Paul Lamott, who who was uh, who played the cool guy in American Graffiti, uh, whose character was later based what they based the Fonz on for Happy Days. But he's um, he's a frustrated writer now. I've communicated with him many times, and he also he's one of the many crossovers into my world. He was interested in the JFK and RFK assassination, and he told me, much like John Barber, he thinks that it impacted his career because he never came became the huge star he should have. Yeah, probably. And, uh, but so there's a lot of that out. There. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that out there. So certainly when I discuss the mob and the corruption and everything, it's it's a very real thing out there in Hollywood. Yeah, but you know, the, you brought up uh, Cindy Brady, um, and you know the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island. You know those shows were cult, yeah. cult um, sitcoms. I mean, they right. have so they. She has a, probably a cult following because it was the biggest show, yeah. like Gilligan's Island. I think Gilligan's only Island only ran for a couple of years, but it ended up being one of the biggest shows yes. ever. Yes. Yeah, and Brady Bunch. Everybody talks about yeah. the Brady, but we grew up on it every day coming home from school. So it is, it is pretty interesting. Uh, one, right. yeah, it's it's fun to watch. One of the things that does bug me is the conspiracy theorists, the stars of the conspiracy theory. They keep trying to come up with something crazier and crazier. And actually, real life, the real conspiracies that are out there are very crazy. I mean, it's like holy crap. All you have to do is get to the right. truth, and that's crazy enough. But they they just make crap up because it's or they they don't care who they get the information from. There's no vetting, and because they just want to be start. It's that again, just the craving of that attention. And there's a bunch of them. The problem with them is that they are messing things up, and I don't know if it's their own psychosis that causes them to continue you know, and being played with, or if they're actual disinformation artists, I don't, I don't, I can't tell the difference. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's what, what invariably happens is that, is that many of us and many people just allege, well, you're disinfo, you're working with the CIA. And obviously we know from Cass Sunstein that, uh, you know, that was their idea a long time ago. Certainly uh, place these assets out there. And a lot of times you can look at the people and determine, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense. I, you know, there, there's something not right there. And I, you know, again, I, you and I are in that world. And uh, this is, so it's it's kind of its own little world, this, this conspiracy world. So we know all the names and they're big names in this, in this you know, in this world that, that nobody knows outside of this world. Yeah. But uh, there, it just amuses me. It amuses me how, you know, they, some of them have such an attitude where they act like they're genuine celebrities. And, no, you're not. You know, and I and I, I did tell you, most of you, I've been at this a lot longer than you were. You know, some of you weren't born yet, and I was ranting and raving and stuff back then. So I, I'm not going to sit there and you know kiss your butt because I, I I'm contacting you. It's because I think you're doing good, you're doing good work. But if you're going to come up with an attitude for it, I mean, but we see this out there, and again, I think it's part of uh, you know whether it it, it kind of seeps over in the conspiracy world where. The, attitude of celebrities at all levels are very aware and this is you know it, it's like oligocracy sarah same kind I of thing suppose, where yeah. the idea is yeah it's it's popularity so for instance on twitter if you're on twitter uh if somebody's in the conspiracy world 
they're not going to, they're probably not going to, if you follow them, they're probably not going to follow you back if you don't have enough followers. Uh, yeah. They, they look at that stuff and it's, it's yeah. high school level stuff. Really yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, that's, and, that's and the kind of thing. And the true journalist, a true journalist doesn't give a crap how many followers you have. I mean, no. they're not even paying attention no. to that. They're because they're trying to get to the information, and it, it, that's why it's um, so backwards. But I suppose that's what we're living in. And I just—it's part of helping people wake up to what it is that we really need to have a healthy society, and following people who are not healthy. Because again, this is an unhealthy. Um, mental condition and we just need to get past some of that and realize <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying look for healthy everywhere and that's what you want to be part of right but it, 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 it it's just it reflects what society is at large it's why I wrote bullyocracy popularity is what drives everything is that yes. you know people I mean it, it's even in the sports pe people are bandwagon fans you know I never have been I always go for the loser it's the underdog but most people love to jump on. If somebody's winning, oh, they're my team. They're going to jump on. Everybody loves a winner. And uh, it, it's the same kind of thing, whether it's in high school or in Hollywood. Yeah. People there are aware. And I'm sure out in Hollywood, they're famously, uh, remember, I didn't write about this in the book, but you know, again, you want to, for people that are famous for no reason, the Paris Hiltons and uh, the uh, Kardashians, the Kardashians kind of represent the epitome of being famous for nothing. But uh, you know, very famously, I think it was caught on. Yeah, they're yeah. They're, well, yeah, sure. There's there's so many pretty girls out there. But they're, <laughs> Just they're, saying, they're, I, I know. Were, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were caught on tape. I think that uh, where they caught the, I guess where Paris Hilton was snubbed by uh, her former, uh, you know, sycophant Kim Kardashian. When Kim Kardashian had leapfrogged her in the uh, absurd, you know, whatever you want to call it, the ladder of popularity. When she realized, and, and they both realized that I'm bigger than you now, and she snubbed her outside a club, and I think TMZ made a big deal of it. It was like a, you know, a pivotal moment in history. And that's, to me, that represented, you know. Oh, for God's yeah, sake. It, well, did Paris, snub, did Paris snub her earlier? Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think Paris took her under her wing because it, it's, it's, you know, it goes back to uh, oh, Star Oh, I see. So Paris helped her, and yeah, yeah, then well, that, she that, ended up snubbing her. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. When she became bigger, but, but that's a story that's really old in Hollywood. It goes back to the reason why A Star Is Born has been filmed four or five times recently with the ridiculous Lady Gaga again. Somebody, you know, <laughs> just a celebrity for it, it, it's bigger than whatever talent she has. But that 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 concept is so popular because everyone, especially in Hollywood, can relate to it because it goes back actually to the. The uncredited origin, originator of that Star is Born thing was uh, Barbara Stanwyck, a very young Barbara Stanwyck, and Frank Fay, who was all but forgotten. He was a big star. He took Barbara Stanwyck under his wing, and she eclipsed him totally. He became a kind of pathetic punk. And uh, that's that's why that it's always uh, you know portrayed that way, where the woman is you know becomes bigger than the husband when he takes her under his wing and kind of forgets them and becomes a bigger star. And that that's an old so on a very you know kind of a different level but that's what you see with something like Kim Kardashian and Paris but it's and I think that happens probably in high schools all across the country where somebody <laughs> suddenly starts dating the right person and, and, and it's, this is levels of this basically as I pointed out in bullyocracy 
it's the popular kids in those schools. They are basically famous in their schools. I remember back, you know, yeah, when I was true. in high school, it's like somebody said, something, is anybody, is anybody famous going to be at the party? It's like, so it's like, and it's, and that's, we talked about level of fame, people who know you and you don't know them in high school. I mean, if you're a popular kid, everybody in your class knows you, but you don't know that many people. And it's, so it's kind of, it's a, it's a small level of fame. But I, I, to me, that's the way I define fame. I don't, I don't know how you would define it, but it is certainly, of course, there's levels of it. But so I think so much of it is based on popularity, and it's so superficial. It's based yes, on it something. Is. So much of it is based on look. So you know, everybody ages. So people out there in Hollywood that are, you know, so you you have people that just were gorgeous, you know, at one bit, but everybody ages differently. And, uh, you know, so some of them don't age as well. So you have somebody like a Kathleen Turner. I hate to give examples like that, but she's one of the biggest examples where, you know, just considered the sexiest woman alive, I think, probably in the 1980s. And, I, you know, she didn't age well, gained a lot of weight. And, uh, you know, so that, that I think that really impacted her career, obviously. And I think that's happened. Dal Kilmer is like the male version of that. And it happened yes. as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but you have other, you have other people that, you know, at, at age better, but uh, Hollywood is based so much on looks and so so much superficiality. That's why one of the best sayings out there is, uh, "Be nice to everyone on the way up, because you're going to meet the same people on the way down." So I think it's probably good advice in life in general. People remember that. I think you're right. Well, and I also think Hollywood is a you know being that cesspool of of mental health. You know, they just want it so bad. They didn't ever really grow up. They're very immature. They're stuck in that high school mentality. And so they're just primed for targets for being taken care, taken advantage of by business people or people who can see beyond that and who are psychopaths in their own right but don't care about fame as much as they care about power and money. And so if you care about power and money, those people who are just care about fame are easy to take advantage of. Sure, and they could be if you if you go against the grain, whether it's politically, like our friend John Barber, and probably Paul Lamont from American Graffiti as well. If if you go into Forbidden Waters, and you can see it now with Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson made so much money that you know he's pretty much untouchable. But in terms of the Hollywood establishment, they despise him, oh, and yes. uh, they they you know no one no one these and they pressure anybody that would even want to work with him. You see that kind of with him. Uh, What's the guy's name? Uh, James Caviel, the guy that played Jesus in his film. He's been very outspoken as well, and he's kind of, you know, he's he can't be touched. So you know, so it, it's when you when you get in that world, you can see they kind of blackball you. But that goes back to the early days of Hollywood, and some of the some of the women who undoubtedly a lot of them I I didn't really speculate on this, but when I'm talking about what happened to you know people's careers, just so they stop making what happened, their screen credits are gone. And, uh, you know, I, I think probably a lot of it can be just refusing to sleep with somebody, somebody big, maybe, or, or you know, maybe behind the scenes, they were, they were, uh, you know, making comments that weren't acceptable or something, and they just decided to, uh, they offended the wrong person. Because they have fame without the power and the money to go behind it. If you can get the power and the money, then you can withstand um all this other crap that's going on but if you all you're caring about is a fame you're going to go down you need to have that power and money and i think that's the difference between the people who withstand and don't now marilyn monroe the only reason she got withstanding i think is because she got in with jfk which got her into that power money circle i think that they are um 
used by this military industrial complex, this uh, globalist, I, the, it, there's a bigger story here on how Hollywood is a, um, a tool for sure. these globalists and for propaganda because, you know, we're in a unconventional war. You know, we're in a mind war right now and the world has changed. It's all more propaganda and info wars. You know, Alex Jones termed info wars, but he's so right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're in. And Hollywood is a backbone yeah. of that. And they have complete control of that industry. And if anybody gets out of line, they're done. Unless they have enough power and money to withstand it and do it on their own. That's my, that's what I yeah, see in a, my, yeah. Yeah. And you, you, have, you have to be a Mel Gibson type to do that because most people don't have the financial wherewithal to do that. But you're right. They can destroy your career. And again, it can happen too. So a lot of times when you look at what happened to so-and-so where, you know, what, ha it, it, but people, it, people, and that's the thing, it, people have short memories in terms of politically, obviously, because they forget, you know, my books on hidden history, people are telling me all the time, you know, it's like, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, well, everybody did. <laughs> I was like, there's so much corruption and so many scandals that you can forget a lot of these incidents. They're one after the other. <laughs> and it's the same, much, it's the yeah. same thing. In, yeah, I mean, it's just, you, you get overwhelmed and you, you, you forgot that one. It slipped through the cracks and, and so I think that's why people like, you know, reading that kind of stuff. Because, oh, yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah, what about that? You know, but it just kind of adds to the overwhelming, you know, nature of, of the corruption you face. But it's the, uh, you know, the same thing in Hollywood where people forget whatever happened to, oh, yeah, I haven't seen her or him for, yeah, what happened? And you look on their screen credits and, wow, it's been 20 years. wonder why that is. And you said people want to be famous so much. And that's why I ask in the book, is it, uh, is it, is it logical? To think that people who are willing to do anything, sleep their way to the top, compromise their morals, just you know, to give up their families, go you know, do everything, struggle to try to get this fame. Once they achieve it, why then would they be so willing to give it up and go back? In many cases, they go back and work you know regular mundane jobs. And uh, I give lots of examples in the books. And I, I just you know, I find that difficult to believe. I don't know what it means. But it, it, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense that's, that you would, you would try so hard and battle so hard, like Marilyn Monroe, dreaming harder than the rest. And then once you get there, you'd say, well, you know, I'm going to do something else. Same kind of thing when they get fame, you know, people are picked. Well, don't you think it's a combination of they got there and realizing it wasn't what they thought it was? But also, yeah. it does get to that underbelly of corruption or there's a new up and coming star that they'd rather sleep with and they've been they just use them and throw them out yeah. i think there's the using them and throwing them out thing yeah. and if they don't have the power yeah. they don't have the box office appeal they have to have that power behind them otherwise they they're done and it i mean that's what i've noticed and i don't know i wanted to i wanted to talk about somebody big you know a couple people big people um, like John Lennon or Natalie Wood, some of these, or even Elvis Presley. Although Elvis Presley, I think he died really of his cocaine death because he had like 50 pounds of cocaine sludge in his uh, intestines, I yeah, think, yeah. when he died. So I think, you know, that could have killed him. But Lennon, Lennon is like a JFK character kind of in that story that you covered this in the book. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah. Yeah, well, Lennon was, uh, you know, the only entertainer I know of that had voluminous FBI files on him, and some of them are still classified. 
So, you know, what you can, you know, ask yourself what is, you know, what was J. Edgar Hoover, what were the FBI doing, you know, trying so much on this ex-Beatle? You know, is he really that dangerous? They didn't really do that to Bob Dylan, who wrote, you know, more political songs, at least early on. But Lennon was more activist, and he, uh, I think they, they feared him in a way, because obviously it's an ex-Beatle, he had a huge following. And uh, Lennon, I know behind the scenes, having investigated him, Lennon was very interested in subjects and uh his when he was assassinated I instantly was suspicious because i was already in that world with the jfk assassination and uh plus he was always my favorite Beatles. so I was... but you know when i found out that the doorman to the dakota where the apartment where he lived this guy named jose perdormo now jose perdormo has a very interesting background he's not your standard doorman to an apartment building this guy had been uh, one of the top medical officials, kind of, I think, Anthony Fauci, pre-Castro Cuba. Yeah. Uh, he, and he was also uh, linked to uh, Frank Curtis, who was one of the Watergate burglars. And uh, he had, uh, the, the same kind of anti-Castro Cuban exile figures that swirled around the JFK assassination years were all around this guy. He ends up, at the, and, and I've been unable to try, he, I think he's still alive. He's, I'm scared to talk to him. I don't want to go to that world. But he's 90-some years old. But uh, he, when did he become the doorman? I think it'd be interesting to try to compare that as to when, how close to Lennon's death did he suddenly become the doorman? But there's, you know, there's a witnesses that, that claim that, you know, after the assassination that they heard him walk up to Chapman, who just, Mark David Chapman, who just calmly sat there and wait. I mean, he could have gone away into the night and no one had ever was before security cameras. No one ever caught him, probably. And you know, there weren't witnesses there watching it. But uh, he supposedly walked up to Chapman and they started talking about the Bay of Pig. So very, very, very strange. But that, and that angle has never really been explored. And of course, Chapman's background, very murky as well. And he's connected, uh, at least indirectly, to John Hinckley, who is, who is sometimes you know, uh, mixed up. I confuse them both. Oh, a lot of them common about the same age. But Mark David Chapman was a uh, minister, worker, whatever you call it, with World Vision, which is a serious Christian organization, international Christian organization, uh, whose president at one time was John Hinckley Sr. So there's there's that strange connection there. So, you know, they, they, you find these kind of intriguing connections in all these things. And they're, they're you know, they're people who've done the ballistics and say that you know, they, they don't match either for Chapman. And of course, he was reading Catcher in the Rye. Strange thing to do, but Catcher in the Rye has kind of a history as being maybe a, a work that was used to, to individuals that might have been programmed under MK Ultra or whatever. I think he bought, he, you know, bore a lot of the earmarks of that. And most most people don't realize when I researched it, I found out that Mark David Chapman was married at the time when he shot Lennon, which you don't normally think. And his wife remained faithful to him. You're talking about a faithful wife. He's still married to her, and they've had conjugal visits all along. Very strange and. Uh, another myth is that Mark David Chapman was a huge Lennon fan. Not Phil Strongman, who I had on my radio show, wrote, wrote probably the best book about the assassination a couple years ago. He did some research and found that Mark David Chapman didn't own a single record of Lennon's, presumably until he purchased the double fantasy Lennon signed in his uh, last photograph. That's a strange thing for you know, a super fan to do when he didn't even own it. Wow. Well, it's kind of like JFK's murder, you know, that they pinned on, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Oswald. Um, 
Oswald. Oswald. His wife, his wife was loyal to the end. I mean, she's still, I think she's still, did she die? I don't know. I think she's still alive, but she says that, yeah, she's still alive. And she says that, um, he was set up. This was all BS. I mean, she's his biggest, uh, defender. And I I think it's because they, they, yeah, they know, they know, they know their husband, you know? And if there was the programming stuff is real and that's what people don't realize you, you can get messages right to your brain and they can mess with you. And there's so much evidence of it. They did it in Africa to tribes when all those like horrific murders were happening with one tribe killing another and those insane, you know, very gruesome. They were messing with MK ultra stuff because they were trying to uh, generate violence and they took it too far. And so there's so much evidence, but you have to dig for it. I did a little mini documentary and then I did a, uh, you know, I've done some talks on it, but so it's very real technology. I can't prove it's happened here because I didn't look at it, but it sounds like you have a lot of facts showing it might have. Yeah. There's no question that that he's, there's more to that story than meets the eye. But again, it's like everything else there. And, And again, there's still Lenin classified documents on John Lennon. Why? I mean, he, he, they were they were harassing him because of his drug use, supposedly, his anti-war sentiments. Just absolutely ridiculous. He had too much of an influence over people, I think. And they're doing the yes. same thing with, I think, uh, these young artists. There's these mysterious deaths. You know, my daughter talks about it because she follows all these artists where there's these mysterious deaths of these artists who just have too big of an influence and it doesn't seem like they were following the narrative. And so they just get rid of them. Yeah. That's well, what and it that's, seems like, but I mean, I just don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's the theme running through the book because it is through a lot of my writing. But there's, there's a, the reason why the world of show business really appeals to me is that I see a lot of the same elements that I write about in politics. Uh, the, the, the unnatural deaths, Suicides, murders, whatever you want to call them, but in, in many cases, like your daughter talks about, these artists, are, whether they're in the music business or actors, they will die under very strange circumstances, and the, the authorities will instantly say there was no foul and play involved, when it certainly seems to be. And yeah. uh, a lot, a lot of times, I, I try for follow-ups. I'm looking for updates because they'll say autopsy results haven't been released, and you'll never get them. They're literally never released. So some of these people die, and they were famous in their own right. And there's no cause given. And uh, so, you know, would you be satisfied that with your loved one? I wouldn't. And uh, but it's only happens in that world and the political world. That's what you have common because that happens. Uh, you know, you look at the Clinton body count and, and yeah. Bush body count, things like that. It's uh, you see the same kind of elements out in Hollywood that we just kind of nod and say, OK, that was a hit. And, uh, you know, Randy Quaid. Uh, you know, is, is, I'd, I'd love to get a hold of that guy, but a very interesting guy. But I think there's something to his star whackers theory where he basically goes around and claims somebody whacks these celebrities. You know, a lot of the times I can't come up with any other answer than that when I look at some of the explanations for the way these people die because it's just not natural in any other industry outside of show business and politics. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's in both of those. Now, Natalie Wood is another interesting uh, personality that you spent some time researching can you tell us what happened there based on you know yeah. what did you find out with some of your research well you know i'm, I'm in uh, you know I, I followed a lot of the research of lana wood who is her sister who was a, a an actress in her own right she was a james Bond girl she was in a lot of stuff 
And uh, she's become my friend on, on Facebook. And I had her on my iProtest show a couple of years ago. Now she's got her own book out, Little Sister. She's doing real well. Her investigation into the death of Natalie Wood. And she has been very vocal about it. And I, you know, I just independently, when she died, I loved Natalie Wood. She was one of my favorites. I, you know, everybody thought my wife looked like her back then. You know, so I said, you know, I'm attracted to that type, obviously. And uh, so she was, you know, really, I was crushed. And uh, I, it never seemed right. I knew she was deathly afraid of terrified of the water and for her to go out you know on a little dinghy like that uh the night that just didn't make any sense and lana would said you know natalie wood was a movie star she wouldn't she would put all her makeup on to go out and get the mail you know that's she was very aware who she was so she would not have gone out in her she was wearing that night she would not without makeup she would not have gone out because she would have thought somehow what if i'd now and then I, you know, I want to I leave a good-looking corpse. That's the way a lot of the people think in Hollywood. And uh, so she knew instantly something wasn't right. And just the entire thing, that she would have never gone out on the water. And uh, they have, of course, obviously, Alana suspect Robert Wagner, who was there, along with Christopher Walken. I don't know what happened, but I, I, knew, I knew the story. It's the same thing I say in most political cases. The official narrative makes no sense. So the official cause of death that she accidentally went out willingly when she was deathly afraid of the water at night makes no sense. She would not have done that. And um, and I'm going to have Lana Wood on my the Donald Jeffrey show, which airs every week. You, you, you cut out there for a second. Where does your show air? It airs on Ocelli.com. My producer is uh, Ocelli, Ocelli.com. And uh, it also airs at like a Jeff Rent, who has a real big network. He, he airs reruns of it four times a week. And uh, Oh, excellent. Yeah, and I'm I'm on Jeff Rents every Monday now. He has he's got a huge huge network, and uh, so he's a big supporter of mine. It also it's also on uh, Rockfin, where it's uh, Sam Tripoli and people like that over there. You know, are there, and uh, so he gets out to a lot of places. And um, you know, we have some some good guests, and I'm certainly happy to have her on. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking more about showbiz these days than politics, but uh, it kind of feels odd, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> refreshing i guess well i guess it's so related i think so now do you have a website that they can go to and get your books and get this book um there might be some time left to, to get some gift or somebody yeah, well, well, has a late gift that they need to get or just to buy it because they're interested yeah it's it, well it's it's I, I don't sell it myself it's bear manor media that publishes it they kind of specialize in it. in fact a lot of the people not necessarily that i interview but a lot of people from the old tv shows and stuff They've had their little memoirs published by Bear Manny. They kind of specialize in it. So it was a logical publisher for me. But uh, the book is on bar and fame, money, mysteries, and corruption in the entertainment world. And it's uh, it's it can be found on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all all the typical places. And uh, you can you can find my writing on other things on Donald, at DonaldJeffries.news and DonaldJeffries.media. I write regularly on a lot of stuff, and I'll be writing more showbiz stuff. I guess I'm trying to promote this. And uh, I know there's a, it's a kind of a different market outside the conspiracy world. I'm trying to, to reach that untapped market, but uh, that'll happen. I don't know. Hopefully there'll, there'll be something. But it's easy to, you know, if you, if you type in and search for it, you'll find lots of places that have it. And I tell people always too, you know, just, you know, suggest it to your library. It won't cost you anything. Have your library system purchase it. And uh, that'll be just, it, it, this is good to me. I get a sale either way and uh, it'll get in lots more readers' hands. Okay, well, excellent. And I got to say, the conspiracy world is becoming 
the regular world because you know something that might be a conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theory you know, uh, I think some, I don't know who quoted this six months ago is now like real news. And it's because right. it's true. There's so much that's true. If you just stick to truth, you don't have to make stuff up. It's that crazy. So, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Your stuff is so interesting and you cut out here and there, but I think we got the most of you. And if you're listening on podcasts, yeah. you won't even notice. Um, if you're watching on video, you'll notice a word here and there drop. But I think overall, it was kind of weird. It was like it dropped, but it didn't change what you were saying. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is a really good interview. So thank you so much, <laughs> Donald, for joining me. I always appreciate listening to you because I know you're one of the best researchers and writers out there. You just do so much investigative work behind what you do. And we learn a lot from your books. Well, so I, I appreciate what you do too, Sarah. And it's always a pleasure. Anytime uh, you want to have me on, I'm happy to talk with you. Thank you. Okay, excellent. You have a great Christmas too. Thanks. You too. Sarah.